This is Pulse of the Pack. There's Bledsoe. Down he goes. And there's Reggie White. White. And that's that hump move. Reggie's coming again. That's Reggie White. Reggie White's going to take over this game right now. Begins the count. This is them. He has a quarterback. They can lead into the first down of the Packers around in front. 15. He did what? We did what? We're sitting here on the bye week, but as you guys know, there really are no true weeks off. So I am with three gentlemen that truly need no introduction. So thank you guys for joining me. I am Jacob Westendorf. I am the one that does need an introduction. So there you have it from there. I have Alex Stroof with me, or if you listen to Jimmy Christensen talk, it's Alex Stroof. Yeah, I, yeah. I could promise you cannot work for NFL Network, and that is Peter Bukowski of Locked on Packers. Peter, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Of course. And of course, Andy Herman as well, who's in a little bit of hot water himself, but I don't think you can get suspended from your own company. So Peter has not, or excuse me, Andy has not been suspended from the Pack-A-Day podcast despite I, you know what, Andy, I was at Culver's earlier and I read a sign that said shakes and bacon. What could be better? And I was like, you know what? Most of, <laughs> most of America probably agrees with that. And then I was like that son of a, okay. So Andy's here, Andy, I know you put a video out this morning and uh, do you have anything else to say for yourself? No, but I do want to clarify. I can eat bacon. Of all the things on that list, I will eat bacon from time to time. I just said it was overrated. So listen to talking or, like a chore. Oh, I'll have bacon. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will have it if I have to, or if I need to. It's not like I'm the top of my list. Can we cut his mic, please. Yeah, like ASAP would be ideal because who hates <laughs> Thanksgiving food? You 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 hate watching football and stuffing your face with turkey. The football's great. The football's great. But turkey stuffing, carrot, like none, none of it. All of it's crap. Pumpkin pie, worst thing ever. Pumpkin spice, anything. Get out of here. Get the hell out of here. Okay, that. Okay, that part I agree. Okay, he got kicked apparently, so I don't know how that happened. But Andy, I agree with you on pumpkin pie. That's not anything special. I econ better. The the best part of this is like people are were legit mad at times. Like people were like upset to the point where they unfollowed me and like had angry comments at times. That's how upset I made them with my food takes, which is hilarious to me. You know what? It's not the internet if people are not mad online. So <laughs> I, <laughs> Joey the Jaguar apparently is a, and he's, he's about one, he's one of the most loyal people I've ever seen. So for him to unfollow you, you must've really struck a nerve on that. So I got to ask then it's Thanksgiving and you've probably answered this before then, but then what do you eat on Thanksgiving? I hope this just goes the whole entire show. I don't. I hope we don't discuss anything else. Uh, so, what, one of the cool things is in our in our immediate family, uh, we've instituted that for Thanksgiving, everyone gets to pick their favorite food, and that's our Thanksgiving meal. So, okay. boys, my wife, myself, we each get to pick our favorite food, and that's what we're going to make, and that's kind of our Thanksgiving tradition. And then, uh, my parents make me shove down awful uh, Thanksgiving food if we're at their house. Um, my in-laws are great and they love me and they will make me a pizza every year for Thanksgiving because they're amazing. So I like how you just nonchalantly said your parents don't love you. I don't know if anybody else thought <laughs> that. That was that's worth noting. Yeah. Yeah. They make me choke down the awful food, which is, you know, the hard part. That's where the relationship really, you know, happy <laughs> start. I can understand that. So we have some traumatizing experiences and Andy, we are here for you. So um Joey, I like candy corn, by the way, of all the things I do like. Really? You like the worst thing? No, if it's, I mean, if it's a sweet, I'm pretty much in. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, except pumpkin pie, I can get out here with that crap. I'm out. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that meant Peter just left. So I'm out of here. All right, guys, we, we can talk food as much as we can, uh, but I, I don't, I, well, maybe people came here to listen to us talk about food. That's certainly possible, but let's jump in a little bit here, guys. The Packers are 4-0 and they're at their bye week. Obviously, they're not playing tomorrow is what that means. And they've gone uh, as about as well as you could uh, through the first four weeks. I think it's it's about as good as candle wax. Okay, that's yeah. an interesting. 
Correct. Okay. So, that's not going to go anywhere today. You know what? That's, I, I, I've never thought of it that way, I guess, but that's, that's a, not a bad, exact bad consistency too. It's, it's a perfect analogy. Thank you for that. Okay. So, so right, before, right before we went live, I think it's worth noting producer Kyle said, this is going to be an S show. And uh, our first five minutes have proved him totally correct. Yep. So here I am trying to reel things back on track and the comments are not helping. So you guys in the comments, <laughs> help us behave, please. It's not going to happen. So at any rate, you guys, through the first four weeks, they're 4-0. I think if you had looked at the schedule, and I know everybody kind of dabbles in some sort of predictions, but through those first four games, obviously, and if you had looked at it. not make predictions. Oh, that's correct. Okay. So congratulations, Andy, on that. But even if you like secretly made some on your own, I don't know if you would have said. I didn't make predictions. Oh, okay. We're going to get derailed. Yes. Continue, Jacob. Go. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. Um, If you had gone through those first four, I don't think anybody would have said 4-0 is expected. It's not like they were playing the four worst teams in football. And I don't think that anybody would have sat through and said, okay, you would have been thrilled at 3-1, and especially I think all four of us would have probably circled that Saints game and said, that's probably the one, right? Yep. And all of us would have chalked that up as like, they're probably going to drop that one. And then maybe at Minnesota, week one is weird. Me personally, I don't think the Vikings are very good. I wasn't too high on them coming into the season, but that certainly has proven itself to be true, at least through the first four games of the season. We'll see if they can bounce back, anything like that. But Detroit, some people are high on them. The Lions are the Lions. So take that for what it is. The Falcons are... A talented team, they can't get out of their own way. But through the first four games, guys, and Andy, I'll start with you here. From where your expectations were on September 12th, the day before the season started, where are they at now compared to what you expected on that day? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing is I was one of the, you know, humble break here. I was one of the lucky ones that got to see, you know, Green Bay actually at practice and at Lambeau Field. And I did have some level of confidence uh, just based off of what Aaron Rodgers was doing in practice, how the team looked. I forget who I was chatting with, but I, you know, I basically said, looking at the roster going into the season from last year over to this year, outside of that right tackle spot, which, you know, we didn't know exactly what was going to exist there, by the way, three players have played there and they've played great. Um, But outside of that spot, um, I thought every position had the opportunity to either stay the same or get better just based on, you know, how they looked uh, in training camp and in, uh, you know, in, in practice. But once you get to the season, you don't, you never know exactly what's going to happen, but I think they have to have exceeded everyone's expectations at this point, not only being four and oh, but how explosive and efficient that they've been on offense. I mean, they barely punt the ball when they have punted almost always it's been because they made their own error, not because they've actually been stopped. Um, so, I mean, it, it's been incredible that the, what they've been able to do, especially offensively. So, I mean, I, I think they've obviously exceeded expectations so far. And Peter, on the offensive side of the ball, obviously this team has no weapons outside of Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. So how have they been able to score? They scored 30 in every game. And honestly, they kind of, I'm not going to say they went into a shell, but they very easily one mistake here or there in each of their first four games could have easily put up 40 in each of those games, how have they been able to do that with the worst collection of talent around a quarterback, other than, of course, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, depending on who you may ask? Right, right. Well, I just think we have to remember that coming in from last offseason, this was the worst 13-3 and team in history, uh-huh. and um, nothing in the offseason made sense. So let's just that's the starting point for where we have to go into this this season. No, in all seriousness... I think even the most optimistic viewpoint of this offense does not look like this. I mean, I don't think any, even the the most ardent Packers Homer could not have said, yes, they would have. I mean, this is historic stuff. And for, for them to be, I mean, they could have scored 50 against Minnesota without really breaking much more of a sweat than they broke in week one. And it, it is sort of the ideal version of what you would think this offense could be. And I don't know about you guys, but when they went into that Monday night game without Devontae Adams and without Alan Lazard, I was still supremely confident that they were going to be able to score points because of how the offense had looked the first three weeks. And and what's really cool is in week one, they showed the jet motion and they gave it to Tyler Irvin. They showed the orbit motion and they would throw the swing pass. They showed the end around to Alan Lazard. 
have they run the have they given Irvin the jet since then? I don't think but Irvin. I think it takes on it too. And and it, but it still affects the defense every time because it's on tape from week one. So when you talk about the illusion of complexity and what Matt LaFleur wanted to be, he had the luxury of going out there in week one, putting everything he wanted to on tape and then play off of that. And I think that's where you've seen the evolution of Matt LaFleur is it doesn't matter who's out there. And that was the calculation I think they made in the offseason when they, I don't think it was just to your actual question. I don't think it was just, oh, they're fine not drafting a receiver. No, they wanted to take someone. I think what they felt like was the guys they had and the development that they could make with what Matt wants to be would allow them to make up for whatever talent Delta was there. And I don't know, is there a, t- I mean, Alan Lazard might be one of the better number two receivers in the league already. Yeah. And he's been, I mean, his breakout game against new Orleans, it's really unfortunate that the injury occurred Brutal. during that game right afterwards. And hopefully he can be back for December. I think that's a, relatively realistic timeline. He should be back for Thanksgiving in time to have turkey and stuffing and yeah, and all, all that, all that stuff. delicious. Yeah. Not that anybody here would say that that's bad food or anything like that. That's, that's good. So Alex, I, you know, Peter, you mentioned obviously the, uh, the yeah. game against Atlanta. I think my, one of my favorite plays from that game is, is Dion Jones is a good linebacker. He's one of those players that, you know, thou shalt not covet is written in Exodus. And he's one of those players that Packers fans break the 10th commandment all the time on because mm. Packers fans covet any athletic linebacker in the world. Deion Jones was one of those players. I think all of us collectively during that season would have had a draft crush on. Mm. And it was a, a run by Aaron Jones. Malik Taylor runs in motion and there's a swing pass out there. And you're talking about that first week of the season where they threw that motion. Deion Jones, I remember thinking and just kind of laughing, like he had no idea where the ball was. Not a clue in the world where that ball was at. And that is Matt LaFleur to a T. And Alex, there was a story that came out at Packer Report this week about Mark or Mark Eckel wrote it. And it was saying that Mark Murphy made the right call yeah, with Matt LaFleur. Yeah. And at the time, if you remember, if we go back in time, obviously, one, Mark Murphy, not a popular man in Green Bay at the time. Most people wanted him out of everything. He had talked about how he changed the structure and everybody was all concerned about that. That mm-hmm. was a big deal. And then he hired Matt LaFleur, who everybody was like, why in the hell did they hire the Titans offensive coordinator yeah. who had the worst offense in the NFL? Fast forward two years. And where does Matt LaFleur stack up in terms of obviously Bill Belichick's number one. Yeah. Where does he stack after that though? I mean, there's tears. Where's right. he at after that point? I, I think it might still be too early to evaluate really thoroughly, and maybe Andy or Peter will, will disagree on that. I, I want to see him get through at least his second complete season, but through the whatever it is now, 2021 20, games, whatever it is now, um, I mean, he looks like one of the top five coaches in the NFL, at least given our small sample size. So I don't know. It's been fun to watch how this offense evolves and starts adding different pieces. We know he has tight end crushes. And Bobby Biceps goes bananas in week four. So it's been really fun to see different guys stick out. And while this has been such a fun season on offense, uh, I think Andy was the one who tweeted it after last week's game. And every week it's been a breakout game for somebody different on offense. Uh, week one, obviously, was Adams, two Jones, three Lazard, four Tanya. And so it's, you, you get this different spotlight, which typically doesn't happen, especially with week one, too. You could, obviously, aside from those those drops that we overreacted to. But, uh, I mean, they they still brought down his play, but he had those those two huge hookups in week one. So, yeah, you could make the case for him. We saw more MBS in week one than I, than I imagine any of us expected. So, mm-hmm. it's been really fun to watch this offense uh, develop. And, yeah, he's, he's, he's becoming an elite, obviously an offensive coach, but elite coach at that. Yeah, well, I agree. Go ahead, Jacob. Oh, yeah, no, I was just going to say I agree. I think that, you know, the biggest thing that you've seen is it doesn't matter who – is in the lineup. Something Peter mentioned is it seems like the team very much. I mean, everybody talks about next man up and all that stuff, but this team really does embody kind of that mentality and just the ability to, okay, Devontae's not here. They've won every single game under Matt LaFleur that Devontae Adams hasn't played. And again, for a team that only quote unquote has Devontae Adams, that's a huge accomplishment. Can uh, Matt LaFleur and Devontae Adams coexist on the same team with that sort of statistic, Jacob? That's the big that would, no, I Mike. mean, that would be a fair question. I mean, no. Uh, now, I you're, mean, now you're doing the, the PFT headlines bit. I love I it. Know, right? um, but then to go, go back to what kind of both of you or a couple of you guys were saying earlier. So not only has it been a different player every week, but as Peter mentioned, first week was jet sweep, jet action, you know, orbits, reverses, everything that got the Vikings defense stretched sideline to sideline. Then in week two, ton of man-to-man defense. 
ton of pick plays from Matt LaFleur. You saw it over and over and over, took advantage of it. They were going to play man and Matt LaFleur had a perfect plan for it. Week three, ton of play action boot fakes, just players, tight ends, Alan Lazard, wide open in the flat, just schemed open, wide open tight ends and wide receivers. Perfect stuff. Perfect game plan. What do they do in week four for their little wrinkle? I can't, I can't even remember how many times just little, you know, running back just ran right into the flat. They're playing zone defense, two wide receivers took them down the field. They basically just took seven, eight yards on that little play. I want to say three, four five times in that game. He has had a different scheme and, and he's not afraid. And I think this is a little bit of Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, kind of seeping into him as well, where he said, I forget what press conference he was, but he basically said, you know, sometimes I got to tell Matt, don't be afraid to go back to the same thing over and over if it's working. And in each of these games, it's a different concept each game, but he's going back to it over and over if it's working. And I love the fact that he has this different, unique little wrinkle that he's going to show somebody. And now to Peter's point earlier, week one, they showed all that jet motion. Now all the teams are aware of it. Well, they've come back to it maybe two or three times total in the last three weeks. Like now the, the, you know, the boot action is there. Now you're able to run stretch off of it. Like it's just concept on top of concept. It's showing uh, opposing uh, defensive coordinators, something that they're going to have to spend a ton of time studying and then not even necessarily coming back to it, maybe save for one time each game. It's really beautiful to watch. And it's not just that they're, they're going back to concepts they're layering the same concept in different personnel groupings. So we saw them, they run four verticals out of every personnel you can run it, including inventing 31 personnel where you've got Tyler Irvin, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones on the field at the same time. I've never seen, I've never seen, and Tyler Irvin is a wide receiver really. Um, but I've never seen so many guys with 30 numbers on one side of the field at once. And, and it really puts defenses into a bind. They hit two cover two whole shots to running backs in one game. I mean, you might not have two shots on cover two to running backs all season. And they did it twice just to the Falcons. So the creativity to say we can run any of our plays out of any personnel grouping. I mean, that's what Andy Reid does. That's what Josh McDaniels does. That's what the that's what these elite Kyle Shanahan. That's what the elite play callers do. And I don't know where you know Matt Lafleur is in the hierarchy of the best coaches in the league. But when we're talking about the best best play designers and the best play callers, I, I said this to my buddy Jason Hershorn. Matt Lafleur has entered the chat, and he may not be at that Kyle Shanahan level. But you can't have the conversation now about who the best play caller and play designers are in the league without having Matt LaFleur be in that discussion. No, that's and absolutely I'll, correct. No, go ahead, Jacob. Yeah, and I'll say this. If Aaron Rodgers' name was Jimmy Garoppolo or something like that, that conversation would be at the forefront. But it's something we've kind of he talked about a year And we wouldn't have a question about it. And he would have been the coach of the year last year, last year. If, if Aaron Rodgers wasn't the quarterback and he'd be the front runner this year. And we'd be talking about how he revitalized this Packers organization and how, but since it's Aaron Rodgers, all we're talking about is how they're there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The people who have paid close attention to this organization knew how easily, I mean, guys, we can rewind back to December 2nd, 2018, mm -hmm. the day Mike McCarthy got fired and yeah. realized you can realize, yeah, we have, you're right, but you can see how very easily this could have gone the other direction very, very quickly. And if they had hired some incomp Matt Patricia type hire, right? how quickly this could have gone to not just the end of Aaron Rodgers to where we're looking at not only the end of Aaron Rodgers, but Jordan Love or somebody like that starting next season and the Packers finishing six and 10 and just kind of ending. And the, the wasting of Aaron Rodgers is a legitimate conversation at that point because they're not even winning at that point. Matt LaFleur has been playing for, for Adam Gase. Think about where we would be. Exactly. Uh, it would, and, it's it's, it's mind-boggling to think back because I, I'm sure we all remember it vividly, how Twitter was reacting to the hiring of Matt LaFleur just how many months, I mean, a year and a half ago, Right. It is a uh, world's difference. I don't think any of us, and I think we can all say this confidently, expected anything like this out of Matt LaFleur, the success he's had in the first, again, 21 games. Is that the right number? Is it 21 now that he's coached? 20. Yes. Okay. 20? 20? 21? 22 playoff like. games. So 22 if you want to use the playoffs as well. Th thank you. 22 games. Okay. So 22 Good games. Math. Yes. Math major to my left. Um <laughs> <laughs> we've never, we didn't expect these results. And I mean, going into the bye week, although it's an early one undefeated, you, you can't complain. And yeah, the creativity we've seen in play calling in these first four weeks has just been superb. You didn't expect 
second greatest uh, coaching performance through the first 20 game or 21 game, 20 games, or whatever it is in uh, NFL history from uh, Matt LaFleur. And then that was, that was my, my tweet right after the game last week is just how good is Matt LaFleur because every week it looks better and it's crazy to say, and it's not, it's, it's one thing to be great, uh, you know, from a play calling standpoint, offensive mind standpoint, but simple things of how he goes about coaching his players, simple things of how he reacts to the media in certain circumstances, love all of that stuff. Like he's just nailing everything out of the park. And the media thing, that's something, too, that, I mean, if you think back to his first press conference, I remember making the joke something along the lines of, they're like, what's your impression? I was like, I'm just happy that him coaching the team is not going to be based on the fact of what he's like under the microphone. You could tell nervous, not, I shouldn't say not prepared, because that's not the case, but very nervous. Not and not comfortable and not polished. That's probably the best way to put it. So he's gotten much better at that. And honestly, I sit back as a as a fan of the team and know that something I want to see as the coach in the face of the organization is he's someone that I'm proud is representing my favorite team. And I think that that is absolutely something you could say about Matt LaFleur. If you're a Detroit Lions fan, are you happy that Matt Patricia is standing up there every week taking stuff from the press? Probably not. Do you feel confident that he's not going to say something ridiculously stupid? No, they're always going to put your team in a good light. And I feel really good about that with Matt LaFleur now as well. Peter, you were, I wrote a column. I wrote a column after the Mike McCarthy firing and, and my goal was to sort of remind people for whatever you can say about Mike McCarthy, the, the X's and O's guy or, or whatever was happening there at the end with the team and, and their buy-in, you could not have asked for a better representative of the Green Bay Packers than Mike McCarthy. Mm-hmm. He embodied everything about the organization, the blue collar franchise, the the work. I mean, how many there were nobody's underdog? Um, you know, all of those things. That was as a representative of the Packers. It was going to be hard to replicate, and somehow they found this guy. The more I'm thinking about it, when you think about the best coaches in the league. Most of them are one of two things, right? You've got the Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh types who are their culture, their delegators, their leaders. Pete Carroll, even to a degree, he's much he's much more hands off with his with his scheme and everything than he used to be. And then you have the the sort of X's and O's guys, the the Shanahan, McVay, and even to a degree, a degree Andy Reid. When you think about the combination of those two and the way that Matt Lafleur has changed the culture of this team. I mean, to a man, the players talk about the, the empowering of the players to be themselves and to take ownership of this team. It, it sounds a lot like, you know, what Sean McVay did early in his career. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the culture that he created in LA either, but the ability to do both is really, really hard. Most coaches can't even do one. And Malifor can do both. I mean, I, I think, it's hard to overstate what a a spectacular move to this point, at least taking Matt LaFleur and taking the risk because it was a risk taking the risk on Matt LaFleur has paid off in in ways that I don't think anyone, even Mark Murphy and Brian Gudikins could have imagined. And further proof that we know nothing because in terms of, quote, <laughs> good hire, bad hire. Right. I mean, I, I, I hate he was, when those he was the worst are- hire of that cycle. Yeah, I'm sure that that was said. I don't have exact you know, receipts of something like that. I'm sure that Mike Florio or somebody like that said something to that effect, but I do know. And I remember when Matt LaFleur was hired, it was Zach Cruz quote tweeted Adam Schefter's tweet that said that. And he was like, Oh wow. And that was exactly my response too. was, Oh wow. I was pretty resigned because this is not the guy I wanted them to hire, but I was pretty resigned to the fact that Josh McDaniels was going to be the head coach. When they interviewed him, he took the interview, somebody that had been picky with his interviews, and he was interviewing for the Packers job. I definitely thought that was something that was going to be there. You had kind of heard some rumblings that that was Rogers' preferred coach. Yeah. That was something that you thought maybe could mesh. He had revitalized Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. And then find out it's Matt LaFleur. And of course, like you said, there were takes. And none of them have turned out to, well, maybe <laughs> some, Michelle Bruton, I will give her credit. And I've given her credit on this show before. She said when Mike McCarthy got fired, Matt LaFleur was her guy. Wow. And She's been right. And there's a column to prove it. And if I can find the link at some point, I will share it on my Twitter account. But she was on Locked on Packers the the day after um, they announced the hire. The reaction show for our our podcast was with Michelle. And so on wax, we have it. And she was like, this is it. This is this is going to work. 
And she was absolutely 100% right. Be honest, guys. Take a poll. Who thought Rodgers was going to walk all over Matt LaFleur after just the first press conference? Oh, hell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about walk all over. I think Rodgers was – he knew he was getting a new couch, and I, I don't know. If, well, uh, sure, I mean, I get your point. But uh, it, it's it's incredible. I, I, was, I was like uh-oh, a little bit uh-oh. So a couple things. One, because I have to one-up uh, the Lockdown Packers podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had Michelle Bruton on the day he was hired uh, on the Packaday oh. podcast. We were breaking down potential coaching hires, and the day he was hired – uh, Michelle and I were talking Matt LaFleur and the week that Matt, Mike McCarthy got fired, the week that Mike McCarthy got fired, I was on Green Bay Nation and uh, Marcus and I each had to do our predictions of who would be the next head coach. Marcus said Josh McDaniels, Matt LaFleur, your boy right here. So, uh, but to answer your Peter, or, sure, he did say that I can vouch on that too. Uh, to answer your question, uh, I only have to say this because I'm in such hot water for my food takes right now that I have to make myself <laughs> look a little bit better than I would normally like to. But uh you know, I think the one thing that I maybe didn't think that he was that uh, Rodgers was going to walk all over the floor about is because he had that quarterback background and that was kind of his expertise. And Mal, or Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst both spoke very high of, of Matt LaFleur's ability to work with quarterbacks. Every quarterback that he worked with, you know, spoke highly of Matt LaFleur. So while I had some trepidation after that first, uh, you know, interview that he did and some things like that, going back to what his background is, what his specialty is, making quarterbacks better, making them comfortable, being a quarterback himself, I did think there was going to be not maybe the budding heads, but maybe them being able to be a little bit more collaborative and work together. And that's really what happened. But I a million percent get what you're saying, Peter, but I did have some hope that his background was going to be able to play, play a part in all of that. Yeah. And I think his background is worth mentioning because people fail to realize that, you know, although he was with Tennessee most recently when he was hired and they didn't have a great offense that year, that was the first thing they jumped to, but he was the quarterbacks coach in Atlanta during Matt Ryan's MVP season. And wasn't he, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it in front of me. He was with the Rams, their Super Bowl year, the year before. So um, it might've been the year before their Super Bowl year. Yeah. Okay. My bad. Uh, but still, I mean, he was on good teams. He was with, he worked with good young uh, creative head coaches, you know, a, a large percentage of his tenure uh, prior to becoming the head coach of the Packers. So his track record, maybe the year before wasn't splendid, but he's come in and, and, and flipped this whole thing on its head. I mean, McCarthy had this team, you mentioned the buy-in factor, Peter, this team wasn't bought into McCarthy at the end of that season. And he's uh, come in and entirely shifted the culture into, oh my goodness, this is debatably the best team in football. What, what yeah. I think is, it is fascinating, and I have not seen this this uh, set. I was going to save it for a tweet, but I'll I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll throw it out here on I'm the gonna, show. I'm going to steal it though and not credit you. Go That's on. fine. Um, we talk about year two in this system. How many years was Matt Lafleur in Tennessee? One. And what and did what we talk about? What happened in year two? Yep, exactly. And they're running the same scheme now. I know they made a quarterback change, but the offense, the core players are the same. And so Arthur Smith, who's done an awesome job, Arthur Smith is using Matt LaFleur's playbook to call plays in Tennessee. And look what happened in year two. And then year three, it, it, it continues. So I just don't, when you look around at, and it happened in Atlanta, it's happening in Green Bay, it happened in Tennessee. I just don't think it's a coincidence. And I think you, you have to view his tenure in Tennessee a little bit differently, don't you? That yeah, the absolutely. same offense that they installed when he was there that even Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones didn't take over the world with in year one, looks like they're taking over the world here in year two, the same way that Tennessee is using the, the same playbook. So I just, it's something that I, I think is interesting that that he should probably get some credit for. And if Tennessee look using some of Matt LaFleur's playbook and they threw it out because they didn't think he was good, they should probably go back and revisit it and pull <laughs> any of those plays out that, uh, that they decided not to move forward with because, yeah, it's working on all cylinders right now. Well, if you want to look at the you know the Shanahan playbook, which is essentially – I know a lot of people made the joke of LaFleur was hired because he shook hands with Sean McVay once, but really he's a, <laughs> Shan he's a Shanahan disciple. Kyle Shanahan's offense didn't exactly light the world on fire when he got to San Francisco either. And when you look into Tennessee too – when people made those takes, one, you're one of the system, like Peter mentioned, two, Marcus Mariota is bad, like legitimately bad. Yeah, so, yeah. so 
So there's that too. So I, I think the biggest thing that we could talk about, you know, we've talked about the culture. We can talk about a lot of the other stuff that Matt LaFleur has done. The biggest thing that he has done is win. And that is something that will cure all of the ills. So that's what I want to talk about with you guys here real quick is the NFC hierarchy. Last year, the Packers were 13 and three. They were the two seed. They got to the NFC championship game and they got steamrolled. We all know that. We all watched it. We all saw what happened this year. They're 4-0 if the season ended today, and it doesn't. They would be the number one seed, or at least tied for that with Seattle. And I think Seattle is actually the only other undefeated yeah, team at this that's point. Correct. Okay, that's correct. So they would be tied for the number one seed. That doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. It's October 10th. Uh, what matters is on January 10th who the number one seed is yeah. or who those top seeds are, something like that. So my question to you guys is, thinking ahead now, the NFC East is a tire fire. I don't think anybody in that division is any good, and I don't see – any upside and 25, I can't speak for anybody else's Super Bowl picks, but I know at least one person in here may or may not have picked a team from the NFC East to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. I won't mention names, but it was me. So I apologize <laughs> for the sins that I have made. Father, forgive me for I know not what I have done. Nonetheless, the NFC East is terrible. Jacob, you're on a roll. I That's horrible. Uh, sorry about that. But anyways, the NFC South. Tampa Bay, Tom Brady doesn't know how many downs you get. So I think you can. Yeah, I, I think you can make the argument maybe for Tampa Bay or New Orleans. But I, I sent a tweet out the uh, other day, and I know it's only, I said something along the lines of, I know it's only week five. I know this is slightly an overreaction. But through four weeks, it looks like Green Bay and Seattle and, and all these other NFC teams have not found their footing yet. It'll happen. There will be obviously better competition come January than there is early October. But nobody looks like they're on the level of, of Seattle and Green Bay in the NFC. And I give the edge to green Bay, just given obviously the track record through four weeks, what they've been able to do on the scoreboard. And Andy, I know, I think you said this on Sunday while it was Monday's episode with Ben Fennel on pack a day that until you see green Bay go to San Francisco and beat the 49ers, you're never going to feel confident that the Packers can beat a team like that. And that is essentially how, even without Nick Bosa, even without Solomon Thomas, even without some of the guys that they don't have, and they're going to get, well, they're not going to get Nick Bosa back, but they are going to get back Richard Sherman. They still have a really good defense, even without Nick Bosa. And they still are willing to play a style that some offensive coaches around the league are not willing to play that matches up really, really well with Green Bay's weaknesses. And that is kind of one of my concerns necessarily with where Green Bay might line up. But do you have San Francisco in that tier, if you will, of a team that is at the top of the NFC? You know, I, I'm with Alex. I think right now Green Bay and Seattle are the, are the top two teams. But to, to the point earlier this week, I do think, you know, at some point you have to show that you can go into San Francisco, beat San Francisco. I think Green Bay is going to be, uh, you know, have the better record when both of those teams go into the playoffs, especially with the, uh, you know, the division that the, the NFC West is and, and how talented that entire division is. The Rams look good. The Cardinals look improved. The Seahawks are good. The Niners are good. So those teams are going to beat up on each other quite a bit. But I, I don't know how when you have a game where basically the other team it didn't ever need to throw the ball if they didn't want to and would have steamrolled you that you can't have some sort of PTSD flashbacks to to that. So I want to see them continue to be able to stop the run. They, they stopped the run well against Atlanta without Kenny Clark. Really, after the 42-yard run or 49-yard run, whatever it was, by Kamara in the first quarter, um, which really wasn't on the defensive line. It was more on kind of setting the edge and kind of scheme stuff. Um, you know, after that, they, they really kind of shut down the saints from a, you know, a running standpoint as well. So I'm hope my, my hope when Kenny Clark went out was that they were going to be able to figure out how to stop the run without Kenny Clark, because if they could figure out even to be semi-decent at stopping the run without Kenny Clark, when he comes back, hopefully you're raring to go and ready and, and fully functioning, be able to stop the run at, at all levels. And I think, I think hopefully that's going to be the case and that they can do so, but We'll kind of wait and see. But again, I think if you look at that San Francisco matchup, I still want to see them going to San Francisco in that game. And if, if they take that game and with any convincing fashion, I mean, you have to know that that's going to just put them on the fast track to a full level of confidence and feeling like they can beat anyone at any time. But it's can't you make too that, that these things can change on a trifle, right? The, the 49ers right now, I mean, they lost to an Eagles team in free fall. And I know Nick Mullins and and all that stuff. But by the way, Nick Mullins two years ago for almost an entire season looked like a starting NFL quarterback. Uh, and they're really banged up. And yeah. we don't know what Brandon Ayuk can be down to down, game to game. We don't know if Debo Samuel's foot is going to hold up. We don't know. I mean, Jacob said Richard Sherman's coming back. Do we know that? Are we sure? 
And and can he stay on the field when he comes back? These are think about the the stretch where it felt like the Packers had no chance to beat the 49ers. It was really two seasons. Think about the stretch that it felt like they couldn't beat the Seahawks one season. And all of a sudden they've owned the Seahawks since 2014. So these things can change really fast. And I understand wanting to measure yourself against the 49ers, but through four games and four and a half, because I guess Thursday counts as a week, but the Packers are the best team in the NFC and, and they played like the best team. And, and so uh, until further notice, San Francisco is just not in their, their room right now. It's Seattle and green Bay. And I think the edge is, is to green Bay because yep. when you think about what they can be, yeah. how does Seattle's defense get better? A million percent. Yeah. Pass rush is cheeks and the, the, the cornerback room is only slightly better. So, I mean, there is a path for Green Bay's defense to play like it did last year, mm. right? And we haven't seen Preston Smith play even close to what he was last year. I saw the Andy's grades. He's He has more minus games graded for Andy in four weeks than he did in all of last season. That's by, yeah, by a factor of two, I think, right? Yeah, and, four, four of this year, only two last year in 18 games. It's been night and day. Unbelievable. And and Adrian Amos, I mean, I thought both safeties had their best games of the season on Monday after not really playing particularly well through the first couple of weeks. So I, I wrote this in a column for Packer Report a few weeks ago. If the defense just plays baseline for their talent, every individual player, they can be much better than they've been. And even still, if you use the win probability and you have it between 5% and 95% win probability in terms of estimated points added per play, they're a top 10 defense. I think they're the fifth or sixth defense if you exclude garbage time. Now, ask the Lions and the Falcons. Garbage time counts sometimes. <laughs> but as long as you're not doing that, as long as you're not historically gacking, you're going to be okay. And and so from that standpoint, when you project this all forward, I think the Saints are still going to be there because of the talent defensively. Their defense hasn't played well either. I need to see the 49ers look like the, the hegemon that they were last year before I say I'm worried about Green Bay beating them. Of course, you still need to beat them probably, in the, but they might not make the playoffs. Are they the, are they the second best team in their own division right now? They're in third so, place. They're in third, so. third, third yeah. place. We yeah. haven't even mentioned the Rams, and that was somebody in the chat. I know uh, Mr. Lambo Labo here was asking about what about the Bears or the Rams? Uh, the Bears the are a team. Are the Rams, Rams are, are good. good. Rams are good. The Bears defense is good. The Bears are not. Uh, and I will screenshot that market, whatever. They've won four games. They don't have to give those back. That's fine. The Nick Foles glass slipper, that runs out at some point eventually. That's fair. I, but four wins is, is still probably halfway of what it's going to take. This they're going season. to the playoffs. You they're, forget that. they're going Listen, to the playoffs. It's a seven playoff now. There's three wild cards. I tell you what, look at the Bears' upcoming schedule too, though. They have some tough games coming up. I will say this about New Orleans because you guys are mentioning the Saints, and this is something that is legitimately working well in Green Bay's favor, and this is something they have to continue to do, and this is why that win in New Orleans was as big as it was. And I think it was Ross Uglum mentioned this at Packer report after they won in new Orleans was that, and Peter, I think you mentioned it a lot. I think everybody here had mentioned it at some point. I think I'm going to just run out of credits to give on that, but <laughs> that, that game had number one seed implications on it. And if drew Brees has to play in any sort of weather at all, drew Brees at his peak struggled playing in the weather drew Brees at 40 Lambeau field. And I know they're playing more likely than not. I'm not going to completely shut the door just because we don't know. But more likely than not, they're playing without fans in the playoffs. Nonetheless, Lambeau Field is a surface and a weather advantage, regardless of if there's fans in the stands. If New Orleans has to come to Green Bay, I think Green Bay wins that game by double digits because yeah, Drew Brees cannot keep up. schedule, by the way, Rams, Saints, Titans, Vikings, Packers twice still to come. So plenty of losses could still could still be had, and it's still the Bears. For, it is for the Bears. Oh, go ahead, Alex. No, all you, all you, Andy. I'll, 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 <laughs> for uh, for Drew Brees, does it matter what weather he's playing in if he doesn't throw the ball past five yards anyway? Um, but um, a couple of things, I just want to go back really quick to the 49ers. Uh, to me, tough to tackle if it's minus five. 
What's that? Yeah, exactly. Um, a a really quick thing on that. So DeForest Buckner and Nick Bosa not being there. And I know Javon Kinlaw is playing well for them, but that is a completely different defense when you take mm-hmm. out Nick Bosa and, and uh, uh, DeForest Buckner. So I think that's number one. And then the, the big thing also for this team, for the Packers team this year that I felt um, insanely different about from a season ago to this season. Last year, I know they were a good football team, but it felt like if the wrong player was out, if they got in a deficit early, if maybe a ball didn't bounce their way, that was the difference between a potential win or a loss or how that game went overall. This season, I don't care if they didn't have receivers. I don't care if they got down double digits to the Lions early. It ha- at no point in any game this season did I feel like, well, you know, this is going to be a major struggle to overcome. It just felt like, all right, you know, they're just going to have to make it up and this will still be a double digit win by Green Bay. Like, I don't care if they go down to the 49ers again, 14 points. This is not a team that's going to roll over. Obviously, that wouldn't be ideal. But that, te- that this Packers team can overcome the, the Saints being up, the 49ers being up, a bad turnover, an injury to a player before the game. It doesn't matter. To you know, go back to Mike McCarthy, this team is nobody's underdog, and they can beat anyone at any time on any surface in any conditions. It just does not matter. That is how this team is built, and it's really been fun to watch. Yeah, That's how the Chiefs beat the 49ers, by the way. They did not stop the, the, the 49ers run game. I mean, they ran for over five yards of carry in that game. They won that game because, number one, they caught the, the pick that they need to catch because Jimmy G is going to give you one. Kevin King in the NFC Championship game dropped one right in his arms, dropped one. Yeah. And they scored. Green Bay was not able offensively to keep the pressure on the 49ers in either of those games. I think it's easy to forget. There was the, the weird fumble at the beginning of the regular season game, but the Packers defense played solid football for a quarter and three quarters. I mean, that Debo Samuel touchdown at the end of the first half was kind of a backbreaker. But if the offense had done anything, they're in that game. They couldn't. To Andy's point, that's not happening this year. Especially if they're healthy. If Devontae Adams is on the field and Aaron Rodgers is on the field in this offensive line. I mean, how many different offensive lines have they played? Like four. At least. And they've got Rick Wagner out there being your your blocking tight end. Someone in the chat mentioned that. Rick Wagner out there moving bodies against the Falcons playing the Mercedes Lewis role. I mean... It really is, there's a different feeling when they take the field and when they when they snap the ball, you think this is going to work. Yep. I, don't know. I don't think we've had that feeling since 2014. And then may, with the exception of like the second half of the run the table, I mean, that's it. I don't know if anyone saw, but they actually tried to release Rick Wagner up the field one time as a <laughs> So tight end, it was they covered it, which was very disappointing because you have to keep two eyes on Rick Wagner at all time if he's eligible. But <laughs> I was so to be able to get him down the field would have been amazing. Wasn't Kevin Barry also seventy one? Yeah, you bacon yes. is back, baby. You bacon is back. The so U seventy one packet. So I'm looking forward to the box inevitable Bakhtiari bomb later in the season that it's we're going to have. We're, we're going to have an offensive lineman touchdown by the end it's, of the season. That's it's happening. Right. And hopefully it's a two point conversion in a spot where they need it. Like one of the, or, or oh. when they're like, they, to go put them up 21 against the Vikings the second time or something like that would be fun. That was, was Rick a first round pick. No, oh, I was going to say, we need to get a first round pick. He was a third. Other first round pick. Think, they don't have a first round pick on their mm-hmm. offensive line. So he was a preseason projected first round pick by McShay in one of those like way too early mock drafts. I remember right. that. Way later. You're right. You're right. That counts, right? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Okay, not okay. Not his agent. No. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. All right, guys, let's roll through real quick here. Uh, Andy, actually, one thing that you mentioned about Preston Smith. This is something that I looked at and kind of observed myself on Monday night, and it was something about Preston Smith and. Through four games, obviously there's 12 more to play and hopefully more if you're a Packers fan, obviously. But through those four games, you mentioned that he's graded negatively in all of those games. Is that what you said? Yep. He looks to me through these four games very similarly to the way that Nick Perry did in his final season in Green Bay, if you don't necessarily account for the injuries. But just like very easily blocked, not having much of a a counter, a plan, looks just like somebody that's out of ideas, quite frankly. I don't know if that's something you've noted. I don't know if that's something that you've seen or anything like that, but that's certainly a concern. Obviously that's something that could change at the drop of the hat. We've seen it with Preston Smith before. It's something that can change in bunches. 
Yeah, I think I've personally had trouble diagnosing exactly what the exact issue is with Preston because he played so well a season ago. This was not just a, a fluke situation where he was, you know, you know, stumbling into sacks. Like he was beating offensive tackles. He set the edge well. So to all of a sudden now just, you know, completely not have any sort of impact whatsoever. I think he does have one sack, but I posted the pressure numbers in that tweet too. He just, you know, wh whether you want to take my grades for, you know, whatever they are or not, it doesn't matter. Pro Football Focus has them rated very poorly. I've had them again, negative through four games. The pressure statistics, way, way, way down. I think it was like one point something pressures per game down from like three point something or four point something, whatever it was, just way down from a season ago. Math here. Yeah, exactly. So uh, no matter what analytic or, you know, statistic or film watch or whatever you want to look at, it's not the same. And to me, he's got a bye week coming up, you know, Kenny Clark hopefully comes back. Hopefully Rashawn Gary comes back, you know, as you have that full body of, of defensive lineman, Kingsley Kiki took a step while, uh, while Kenny Clark was out, which you love to see, you know, you have options. You don't, I feel like they don't need to play Preston Smith, you know, 90% of the snaps, especially when Rashawn Gary's back, maybe if they scale back some of those snaps and now that he's had a week to rest it off, I will say too, you know, one of the things that Brad Stevens had talked about, about Kemba Walker being in the bubble, he said, you know, without the, without the crowd, without the fans, you know, Kemba just wasn't the same. He didn't, he didn't have that same energy, that same passion, that same feel for playing the game of basketball as he did when there were fans there. Who knows what some of these players are feeling? This is a really weird time, and um, I'm certainly not a sports psychologist. So it could be a physical ailment that we don't know about, and maybe that fixes over time. It could be something, you know, just mental energy, whatever, that we don't know. There's so many things going on right now, but the bottom line is he's not the same player. And if these this defense wants to be at the level that it needs to be at, either he needs to be or Rashawn Gary needs to take that step and take more of those snaps for him. He's also uh, dropping far more than he did last year. His his actual pass rush numbers in terms of pure snaps where he's going to hunt quarterbacks is is down over last year, specifically because Rashawn Gary, when he's been on the field, has been so much better than he was a year ago. I, I, let me throw this at you because it was something that Robert Mays talked about on his podcast over at The Athletic. They're not calling holding this year. And this is a clear mandate from the NFL and Mays' thought was, doesn't this hurt power rushers more than finesse rushers? Doesn't this hurt Cameron? Because this his point was about the Saints, because they've got their their big their big guys, their ward daddies are Marcus Davenport and Cameron Jordan, who are power rushers. Zedarius is is a, a hybrid because he can win early with quickness against guards, which is what he's doing, but against offensive tackles, he's usually winning with with strength and, and speed to power. Preston Smith, even though he's got those physical tools, a lot of what he does is that speed to power, I'm just going to run through your chest because with his get-off and his length, he can control offensive linemen that way. If they're letting offensive tackles do whatever they want, doesn't it hurt them more than you know the Brian Burnses of the world? And I know that that's going to set Packers Twitter. Uh, Thank you for doing that. In a flurry. But, um, you know, it, it matters in a different, like someone like Khalil Mack who can win. However, right. he's, he's been really good this year and, you know, I, we're seeing it across the league guys like Demarcus Lawrence, they haven't done anything and pass rushes down across the league. So I wonder if as the season goes on, these things, these things in terms of the holding penalties start to normalize that guys like Preston Smith start to make a little bit more of an impact because this is impacting the way they play so specifically. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, I think the other thing, too, is I, I think the reason we've seen a little bit more of Oren Burks and we even saw a little Randy Ramsey playing some outside linebackers, I think they want those two guys to take some of those drops. Obviously, you can't do it every time they're in because it's going to be a tell. But I think they're, they want to see, you know, Burks and, and Ramsey a little bit more in space rather than dropping Preston Smith back as much. I think there was a couple snaps this week where Preston even lined up inside. So I think they're trying mm -hmm. some things. I think they want to make it so that he's not dropping quite as much, although he did a good job dropping, you know, last year at times as well. But um, I, whatever it is, whether it's scheme, whether it's the player, whether it, it just has to be better. And hopefully What's it is because, like you mentioned, the Packers need – their pass, their best players are pass rushers and cornerbacks, and I know people have kind of made jokes about Chris Collinsworth saying that this team's built for shootouts, which is it can be a nice way of saying your defense is bad, but I don't think that's what he meant. I think he meant that's what he meant is they're Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary, Jair Alexander, their safety tandem, Kevin King. Those are their best players on defense, 
And it doesn't really work as well if Preston Smith is not playing as well. So I think that that can be kind of our, our you know, our bigger disappointment for, for the first half of the season. I want to get, cause we're running way longer than I intended and I appreciate your guys' time today. So just real quick, let's do some rapid stuff before we wrap up here. Just who's your guys' biggest surprise through the first half of the season. It can be an individual player. It can be a, an overall theme, something that you've noticed, but Alex, I'll start with you. Who's your biggest surprise for the first, I shouldn't say first half, first four games of the season. Yeah, I, I'll go obvious. I don't want to steal uh, Andy's man crush on defense. So I'll leave that one for him, uh, but I'll go with Bobby biceps. That's my man crush these days. I, I mean, obviously we knew Matt LaFleur was going to emphasize tight end involvement this year with, with the draft pick of Josiah DeGuara as well. He loves his tight ends. He loves getting him involved. And he's the first Packer that scored uh, touchdowns in back-to-back-to-back weeks since Bubba Franks did it in 01. So uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, looking back on, you know, some of the tight ends the Packers have had in the last 20 years, nobody's done it since, since Bobby, so, or excuse me, since Bubba, now Bobby. So uh, he's been impressive on offense. He's He's been playing over 40 snaps, I think, every single game, uh, which I don't know if I expected e- even in week one, let alone uh, through the first four weeks. So uh, I would say he's been probably my biggest surprise, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Peter? Can I say Aaron Rodgers? Sure. You can, yeah. Be- because, look, I, I – I'm caught between this weird place because half of Packers Twitter thinks that I am a Rogers apologist. And the other half thinks I'm way too critical of him. And that's good. Then that means you're a happy middle. Good for you. I I feel like that means I'm where I need to be, but that's because I feel that way. Right. If I thought I (laughs) feel some other way then I would feel that way. I thought the days of Rogers looking like this were over. Not that I didn't think he could be better than he was last year. Because I I did think he could be better. I just the accuracy is so different this year com- compared to the last two years. And and you know I t- I talked with with Ben Fennel about it. Obviously, friend of the show, Ben Fennel. Um, that uh, that easy things throws to the flat receiver screens slants. I mean, think about the the play that shouldn't have ended the Seahawks game two years ago, but did the throw to Marquez Valdez Scantling at his feet. What was that? And you just go, well, if that's who he is, then how does you can scheme up some stuff and you can give him some more layups. But if he's not going to be as accurate as he used to be, he just can't, he can't be Aaron Rodgers destroyer of worlds anymore. And whatever he saw on that 2010 tape, he could make a fortune selling to quarterbacks of, of high school and, and college and maybe Mitch Trubisky because whatever he found <laughs> in that tape, has re-unlocked whatever he's had because he is he's old Aaron Rodgers and it's it's incredible. And and I just we talked about the year two leap and all that stuff. And I talked about it. I never believed they could be here. And they're here in large part because Aaron Rodgers is back to playing like Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'm I not sure that- if you guys have heard, but uh Mitchell Trubisky was drafted above Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. But <laughs> Andy, go ahead. Yeah, I- <laughs> I think uh, Peter's is is actually right, which really, you know, of course, is going to pain me to say, but I, I think that's a good answer. But I, you know, this this may sound stupid and lame and cliche, but I don't necessarily know that it's necessarily just a footwork thing or anything like that, which I think helps. He's having fun again, and I legitimately believe that this is a real thing. You go back to prime Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about throwing the belt up, Aaron Rodgers. We're talking about goofing around on the sidelines. Dropping time and suck it down. Yes, sir. You saw him having fun throughout those Super Bowl and MVP runs. This was it was not the Aaron Rodgers that was always, you know, jumping on people if they made a mistake. For whatever reason, at some point between the MVP and Super Bowl seasons, you know, up until maybe a couple years ago. This was a a more tense Aaron Rodgers. He just wasn't having as much fun. You rarely saw him throw up a belt or do anything fun. Like he he had the play where he caught the pass and slid down, and he's just busting out laughing on the ground because of the the play that just took place. You know he's making you know he's pretending with uh, Matt Lafleur that he can't hear the play call just to mess with him in the middle of a game. Like he's dropping suckets onto practice. He literally had wrestling matches, uh, Milwaukee Bucks, yeah. style, like real wrestling matches with Tim Boyle, 
during practices this year. Whatever it is, he is just having more fun. He is more loose. He is engaged. The, 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 the footwork stuff and stuff is great, but he is just having fun. And to me, that is the difference with Aaron Rodgers. My answer, and, and I think what Alex was going for earlier, was Chris Barnes because the dude got cut a week before the first game of the season when they started him, which was obviously some form of calculated gamble knowing that there was no buzz about him. There was probably no team that was going to claim him, but still you plan to start him. He's been great. And that you cut him before the season and allowed him to go on waivers, just amazingly bold move or lucky move, whatever way you want to look at it. But uh, it's not just that, but the fact that Chris Barnes has played well, he's not thinking out there. He's reacting. He's playing fast. That that's been my most pleasant surprise of the season so far. And I'll go real quick. I'm just going to go with the offense as the whole for the reasons we all talked about earlier. It's been a different person every week and they've done it without, they haven't had Devonte Adams since the second quarter of week two. They beat yeah. New Orleans in New Orleans. They scored 30 plus against New Orleans. They scored 30 against Atlanta without Devonte and Alan Lazard. They've done it in a variety. Aaron Rodgers was playing with a, no offense to these guys, they're professional players, but a JV practice squad. I mean, in all honesty, th- those are not, Great. This isn't the perfect pack from 2011. That is not a great receiving core he was playing with. With all due respect, Robert Tanyan's had a breakout season, but nobody before the season started is saying, maybe other than Andy Herman, is saying Robert Tanyan is going to be a breakout tight end. The only question I have left, speaking of tight ends, who loves which tight end more? Does Andy Herman love Robert Tanyan more than Matt LaFleur loves Josiah DeGuara? That's what I need to know. That's something we're going to... That's something no I'm going to need to no know. No one loves anyone more than Matt LaFleur loves Josiah DeGuara. That's true. And because I love between Tanyan and Boyle. So I'm like, it's like trying to choose between my favorite child. Whereas, uh, you know, LaFleur's just got his one guy. So I think, I think LaFleur gets the nod there. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. I do wonder if, I mean, you just don't talk about Elton Jenkins as much with him, but I mean, I remember thinking very vividly, this is the same way that they were talking about, but guys real quick, then last week, one, week 17, we get a Tim Boyle tutty to, to big Bob Tanyan. Well, it happened in preseason, and my mentions went through the freaking roof a couple of years ago. It was- I, I, yes. Let me just say this, uh, just you know, st- stop the presses. If the Packers are not playing Aaron Rodgers in Week 17, they're playing Jordan Love. Ooh. I I don't think so. I think why you're wouldn't right. you? Why would you? Right. Here's, I think you're right. Why would you I, not? You want Tim my, Boyle healthy in the postseason. You don't I think want- that's right. Thank you. My thought is I do like it, the process of wanting Tim Boyle healthy for the postseason. You can't I, have a successful postseason run without Tim Boyle. So I do like where your head is at. I will give you I that. like that idea. My thought is that Tim Boyle is not going to be on the team next year because Jordan Love is going to be the backup. And if showcase that is game. the case, it's a showcase game, very similar to what they did with well, they did it with Matt Flynn, but it was a free agency showcase game in that case. So yes. they're gonna try and trade him for Whatever you can get. If he has a Matt Flynn game, I guess, what could the Packers have traded Matt Flynn for after his Detroit game? I don't know. We'll a never lot. know. A, a lot. Yeah. We, yeah uh, we, started the, we started the show making fun of me for my food takes, and we're ending with telling me that Tim Boyle is not going to be on the team next year. So uh, thanks a lot. <laughs> Andy hates his favorite food. All right. All righty, guys. Real quick, I, just, I know this is kind of a ridiculous question, I guess, but they're 4-0 right now. They were 13-3 and a season ago. At the end of the year, I'm not going to ask you for a final record just because we don't know who's going to play in what game or anything like that. Although I guess this kind of lends to a record prediction, but oh god, <laughs> it's true. He told me to pack it. I once he did say that's that. that's yeah. pretty good. Okay, that was pretty yeah. funny. Thank you, thank you for that. Are the Packers going into the NFC playoffs as the number one seed? Yes or no, Alex? I'll start with you. I think so. I, I don't think it's close uh, outside of, like I said earlier, Seattle might be able to stake it. It might come down to it, but uh, I mean, I don't know what, well, obviously that San Francisco game on November for or, or November 5th is scary. Uh, you've, you've still got Chicago twice, but nothing on this schedule really terrifies me. I, I don't think, I don't know how good Tennessee is going to look at the end of December, but I don't see them losing more than three games. I'll say yes. Yeah, and Andy mentioned it earlier. There were games last year on the schedule, even as the team continued to kind of stack some wins together, you still pointed two games and were like, okay, they're not winning that one, and they're not winning that one. And I do feel good about saying that there isn't a game like that on this year's schedule. And this is somebody who said that Green Bay was going to get destroyed by San Francisco on November the 5th. Now, injuries obviously have changed some things. I agree. I do think that they'll be the number one seed and have a chance to host the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field. Andy, what do you think? 
I think they're going number one seed and they'll probably get screwed over and it'll be a bubble situation and they'll have to play in like Minnesota or something. Oh, that would be so stupid. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Because if the NFL does bubble, that's when it would be feasible. Right now, saying? they're not sending anyone to Green Bay in, in, in any sort of bubble situation. That's a very good point. Okay, Peter, last matter, one. Matter of fact, Andy, you should leave Green Bay. Yeah, I know, right? I should get out of get out of Dodge and try to stay safe. I I'm literally in my my dungeon here 99 percent of the time, so I'm mostly safe. Your panic room. For those we did verify before the show, this is not prison, Andy. That is his house and his office. But it is not a prison or anything like that. So he is good and safe. But Peter, one seed, yay or nay? I, I say yes. the The division is not that hard. I think Seattle has a much harder path to getting to 12 or 13 wins. And I don't think I don't see Tampa or New Orleans getting there. So I think they're 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 the clear favorite to get the number one seed. And, and by the way, five thirty eight agrees. I think they have a f- almost forty percent chance to be the one oh, seed. Wow. The next closest is Seattle in the tw- in the high twenties. I think it's wow. I think it's thirty eight percent and twenty nine percent. So yeah, five thirty eight says they're going to be the number one seed. Um, I'm, I'm largely, there largely wow. for the reasons that you're probably mentioning. I mean, Detroit's yeah. not good. Minnesota, they get them at home. Chicago, and the Bears Chicago. Still suck. The Bears still suck. That's absolutely right. So, hell, hell guys, of a stat, Peter. Hell of a stat. So, since we are mathematicians, I asked these guys originally for a half hour. They gave me two of those. So, thank you guys for that. I appreciate it. That is Peter Bukowski for Locked On Packers. You can follow him on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can find him at the internet. That's probably a much easier way to describe things. Andy Herman, you could find him at Andy Herman NFL, and you could find him at Packer Report. Find his grades, like we mentioned those throughout the show. Those are a great read, a must thing. If you subscribe to Packer Report for any reason, that would be one of them. That would be probably number one for that reason alone. And we have Alex Struff, and I'm going to start calling him that wow. until Jimmy starts getting it right. You can follow him on Twitter at Alex underscore Struff. And the biggest thing that I want to get here before we get to the very end is the Jamal Williams J Swag Daddy Swag Bag Giveaway. We hit the $3,000 mark just before this show awesome. started today. Nope. So that is awesome. Thank you guys. You both have shared that on your guys' Twitter timelines today as well, or not today, but at some point as well. So I appreciate your guys' help on that. But click the link. It is a toy and bike drive. We are able to donate all of that money to Jamal Williams. So that's been awesome. The Jamal Williams show is on Tuesday. So we thank you guys for listening to this show. Following every week, find us on Twitter at Game on WI, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, Game on Wisconsin. Boys, thanks for joining me, and we'll see you guys next time after the Packers beat up on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Kyle, hit it.